It's Drew Sample here, your host of the Sample Hour. This episode. Sorry about last week. I wanted to put out a couple episodes last week, guys, but uh, I ran out of room on a podcast blast off, and I kindly scanned Nathan out of a free month, pretty much out of it. So thanks, Nathan, if you listen. Um, I was making my files. I try to make the audio quality really crispy for you guys because I like good sounding audio. I get compliments from it quite a bit. So, but I ran out of space, and uh, so I just took a week off. I hope you guys don't mind. Um, so, because some new things coming out, I do have an Amazon affiliate thing. Still trying to figure it out. I did post some books um, that I recommended in the affiliate episode. So it turns out, guys, I've been giving you guys a lot of free books from my personal Audible. And it turns out that I actually can get an affiliate ship. So waiting on that. So hopefully that comes through and um, I can continue to give you guys a lot more free books. So not just books that I own, but books that, you know, if there's a topic or something like that, I can list resources. And then you can sign up for an account and get a free book. And uh, and then they pay me money. So it works out well. You get something for free and I get money. I like that. Um, but with that being said, guys, I got a lot of episodes coming out. Um, this guest I'm super excited about, uh, bringing to you guys. He's super cool. Uh, when I was in Florida last, I was staying at my dad's and it was the last night. And I, you know, whenever I go to a city, I'm always like, man, could I farm here? And I was looking at Florida. I'm like, man, it has to be hard to do it here. Then sure enough, Jordan shoots me an email and, um, I head over there the next morning and, did a cool Instagram live video that I didn't realize didn't save. And, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of bummed out, but he's got a great farm. Um, really, I mean, we, we talked about it on the podcast, but his soil there, his native soil is just pretty much beach sand. Um, I mean, it's, it's not good, but you know, what he's doing to that land by farming is, is really interesting because it is incredibly regenerative. Um, so, Definitely, I was hoping to get some sexy photos, but I think Jordan just broke his phone. So um, what I got, is I just stole off his uh, social networking. But it's an awesome-looking farm. Anybody that tuned into the um, Facebook or the Instagram Live video could see that. So super inspiring when I was there. Super cool dude. Um, so I'm, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. But first, let's talk about the affiliates. I didn't talk about them on the the bonus episode. So you can probably fast forward three minutes if you don't want to hear me talk about the affiliates. So here we go, guys. So our first affiliate, as always, if you go to Grant Schultz's site, newfarmsupply.com, Grant has some new stuff coming out. Um, so him and I have been talking. He's going to be coming on the episode soon so we can promote it. Um, that should be real soon. So um, I'll let you guys know. But uh, what he still has at newfarmsupply.com, you can save 20% and get free shipping with code word SAMPLE. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so do that if you like what he has. Um, secondly, if you're looking for some nursery stock, um, so let's let's take a look at Nature's Image Farm. So Greg Burns, I, I can finally say he sold out of one of his comfries. I've been, I've been uh, hawking at his comfrey quite a bit. Um, but if you use code word sample at naturesimagefarm.com, you actually save 10% and get uh, free shipping. But he still has American elderberry, American perisimmon, um, American plum, 
uh, Antono- Antonovka apple, Bartlett pear, Beyond Organic Craft pork um, is actually sold out, but you can read more about it. Uh, Black locusts. He has Comfrey Bocking 14. He is, or no, he's sold out of Comfrey Bocking 14, but he does have Bocking 4. And what else does he have here? He's got some uh, Ginkgo Biloba. No idea what that is. Looks delicious, though. There's a picture on the website. Hybrid Chestnut, Hybrid Hazelnut, Nanking Cherry, Norway Spruce, and Mulberry. So it's all 10 packs. Uh, so you get more than one. If you use code word sample, you get 10% off and free shipping. So um, I I promote Greg Burns' stuff right away. Soon I'll have a, an, a, a testimonial on his page when I stop being so lazy and I write it and send it over to uh, James Blask. But everything I've gotten from Greg has been incredible. Uh, my relationships Greg with Greg and, and his farm has really changed my life in the sense of getting good source meat, um, learning how to butcher animals and, and everything like that. So I think that uh, Greg Burns is, you know, I, I view him as, as family and a brother and, and uh, you know, everything that I, every, every, every business I've done with him has been incredible. So I, I can't say enough good, good things about Greg. So now moving on. So as you guys know, I have been, Working out quite a bit, trying to get back in shape. I'm, I think I'm down like 22 pounds. Um, my friend Kevin Geary, he's been on the podcast before. He has a program called Rebooted Body. Uh, I'm a big fan, so if you guys go to click on the link in the show notes, um, you guys can sign up for his programs. He has Decode Your Cravings, Reboot or Total Body Reboot, um, and he has another course as well. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Kevin's courses. Kevin, Kevin's a, a good friend of mine and, um, I've been getting a lot out and once, once, once the transformation is complete, guys, I'm going to post some pictures and tell you guys exactly what I did and how I lived my life to lose my weight. So if you want to do the same, you know, you always can. Um, if you guys want to start a podcast like me and just talk into a mic and hang out by yourself in a room with your cats and, in a window, staring out the window and just talking to a microphone. Um, it's actually pretty fun. The podcast has changed my life. It, it made me, it's, uh, it's brought me to people like, you know, Greg Burns and Jordan Cooper and who's on this episode and everybody else. Like it's, it's changed my life for the better. And I think what's cool about podcasting is, you know, it gives you a way to record your life. Now, not everybody's going to be a podcaster, and uh, I, I, I always do this for me, though, guys. So this is, um, it's nice that I have listeners. It's nice that you guys are also cool and you say nice things to me, and um, and I'm really overwhelmed with with gratitude from it. Um, but you know, it's for me, podcasting has been just the ultimate network tool, and I don't like, I really like talking. I don't really like editing. I don't like promoting it i don't like to a lot of that stuff i do like the people that i meet from it though um and the opportunities that it brings me so you know one thing when when i first started podcasting the worst ever was trying to um figure out how to do a website um having a website's good because it makes you look like you have some credibility and then where to host it too so a lot of people use libsyn i think libsyn is is a great service but then you have to know how to code it with a website. Now I don't I don't want to do any of that shit. Like I don't like building websites. I'm not a fan of it. I could probably learn it, but it's it's just not fun to me. 
Um, so what I like about Podcast Blast Off, it's a it's a all in one solution. Um, there's definitely a, a lot of tutorials about how to get started with a podcast, um, different equipment you can use. There's a lot of different ways. And so if you guys do want to, if you guys do sign up with Podcast Blast Off, use my affiliate link. Um, I'm more than happy to, to take some time out and walk you through what I do or anything. All, all the software I use to clean up the audio, the mic I use, everything like that. I will be more than glad to consult with you to, to get you started for free. Um, so I, I just, podcasting's changed my life, so I'm all about it. So moving on, I think that's it. So last but not least, Profitable Urban Farming. I'm a big fan of Curtis Stone's course. Uh, lots of good information. I think there's a lot of times you can, people are selling PDCs. A lot of times it's bullshit. I'm not going to lie. Um, you pay a thousand bucks, you know, about the same that you already knew. Um, and that's not all the case. So I don't want to say that's everybody, but that's a lot of people. A lot of it to me is, is, uh, you know, like a McDojo, you get, oh, you have a black belt. So no, you can teach somebody else to get a black belt. No, you can effectively get your ass kicked. And a lot of times that's what it is. Like you can, you know, you get your PDC and you go out there. Now you can go get your ass kicked by the land. Um, with Curtis's course, what I like about it is it, it sets you up. So you know exactly what Curtis Stone's doing to make money strategies. Um, there's a group of a bunch of other people that you can lean on and support. So I'm a big fan of it. If you guys click on the first link in the show notes, you'll save $100 off the course. Uh, if you click on the second link, it's a payment plan. That's how I paid for my course. Um, so, yeah. So that's it, guys. Enough of me hawking affiliates to pay for the podcast. Um, so if you guys want – I don't even know what I was going to say there, guys. So enjoy the show. Um I know I enjoy talking to Jordan, and I hope and I think you guys will enjoy hearing him. So, all right, guys, take care. Wednesdays ago, because um, it's going to be it'd be two Wednesdays ago, uh, saw me interviewing some guy on his awesome farm, and then I didn't I didn't have Facebook on my phone, so I couldn't do Facebook Live, and we didn't know Instagram Live went away. So for any of you that peeked in, I heard I heard a lot of got a lot of compliments um, to share with you, Jordan. Um, just everybody like this past weekend, everyone's like, man, that guy's yeah, that guy really had shit going on there. I go, I know, man, it's it's pretty awesome. So I'm joined by Jor- Jordan Cooper. He is the owner of Sugar Top Farm, and he is on Sugar Loaf Mountain in Claremont, Florida. Um, I was, I, thankfully, the universe is smiling on us, Jordan, because the day you decided to email me, I was 11 minutes away from you. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming there in the morning, and you're like, awesome, man. And then we hung out, had a good time. I almost missed my flight because I was, I was having so much fun with you. Um, but uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, it's, it's a pleasure. I had a, had a blast being over at your, going to your house the other day and, uh, and checking out your farm. So 
because you're you're doing the same thing I'm trying to do, and a lot of people are trying to do. And you're and you're very and you're so far. It's it's your second year. You're really successful. But how did you? So how did you get started? So, um, and I guess you know we talked quite a bit when I was there. So kind of take us back because a lot of people don't get to jump in full time. But you've you've always kind of made good decisions, and I guess I kind of just want you to start with uh, right out of college and how you got on your path. Yeah, so it was kind of a uh, unexpected course, but uh, yeah, I went to UCF, um, graduated in 2011, went for something totally completely different than agriculture. Um, I don't even think they have really an agriculture program, but um, did uh, legal studies, wanted to go to law school, do that whole thing. Um, I'm originally from South Florida, um, really no agriculture experience at all. I knew I always kind of liked plants and kind of volunteered at some places or if a school had like an arboretum like our university did, I really liked that type of stuff, but definitely didn't see a future in it. Um, but yeah, graduated college, um, moved down back down to South Florida um, with my now fiance. She got a job. I happened, happened to get a job in retail, um, which ended up being a kind of good thing. It was a tough position and a lot of responsibility, but taught me a lot. And I find a lot of similarities with, you know, going to markets and it was grocery retail. So it was a lot of, you know, setting up displays and a lot of hard work and managing people and things like that. So um, it was a lot to get thrown into, you know, right out of school, but it, it taught me a lot of like real world experience. Um, so did that for, uh, I think a year and a half, um, saved up some money. We both were just, you know, trying to live pretty frugal, um, down there. And, uh, we happened to, well, we always knew we wanted to buy a house, um, thought it was a good investment. Um, and we had some money saved up by that time. And the market was kind of, the housing market was kind of at a point where, um, it was pretty, it, I don't know if it bottomed out, but it was pretty much there. What's that? You remember what year it was? Um, I want to say, what was that be? 2012? 20, late, uh, what would that be? 20, yeah, it was like in June 2012, I want to say. I think either 2012 or 2013. Um, but it was kind of right at the, the down, and we kind of um, stumbled upon this house that needed some renovations and things like that. It was in a good neighborhood in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, we bought it. The guy wanted to get out of there, so we got a good deal on it. And we did some renovations, kind of piecemealed it together on, you know, just just paycheck to paycheck. We were like, all right, we'll invest this much and really did a lot of renovations in the house. Uh, market kind of picked up a little bit, and we knew we wanted something more. We didn't really see, like, raising a family or anything there. You know, it's very – South Florida is very congested, a um, lot of different – you know, it's kind of – it's definitely a melting pot of all sorts of different people, so it's – pretty cool that way. Um, but it just, we just wanted to change. We wanted some land and things like that. So we sold the house. Um, before that, um, I kind of had, you know, the idea of we wanted to do something in agriculture. So I contacted some people. Uh, my fiance's job got relocated to central Florida. So she, we said, all right, we'll relocate up there. You can buy a lot more land. Um, it's kind of the outskirts of Orlando. If people don't know where Claremont is, um, we're about 45 minutes northwest of like downtown Orlando. Um, so uh, we looked in this area and I happened to come across a company called uh, Organic 
uh, they're pretty much an organic orange juice company. Uh, they're based in Claremont, just so happened. And I contacted the guy and said, you know, I'm interested in doing some agriculture. Um, maybe some, I was looking at blueberries or peaches or something like that. I hadn't really found um, vegetables or anything like that. Um, and he grew up this, everything where I am, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres. If you ask anybody that's from here, it was just all citrus. And uh, back in the 80s, they had a lot of, um, we had the, I think it's 83, 85, and 89. They had like really bad freezes. Pretty much all the citrus got wiped out in this area. So a lot of people replanted um, either with citrus or pine or other things. Um, so this guy was pretty well versed in, you know, fruits and, and um, you know, pretty, pretty big organic, certified organic production of fruits. And that's something that interests me. So, um, you know, I reached out to him, saw, you know, he took me all around showed me kind of the area of Claremont, um, but, uh, we, you know, we mostly talked fruit trees, all that, which was good. Um, but later on, you know, when I, when our property now kind of came on the market, I kind of identified this little area because we had no idea and we're living down there. So it was kind of really tough, you know, buying property when you're not living around there, you know, we're three hours away. So it was like coming up on weekends, checking land, checking different properties. Um, and then I found where we're at now online and it was um, just came on the market. It was a lot smaller than what I originally thought it was, uh, what we wanted. We were looking for like 10 plus acres. Uh, this is two and a half acres. And uh, it just so happened and I was like, yeah, it's kind of overpriced, whatever, whatever. So um, we're in the middle of selling our house kind of at this point. It's very tricky. I don't know if anybody um, you know, out there has kind of done that before, but selling a house and moving in a new one without, you know, having any gap in between, especially when you're doing it far away is pretty difficult. So that was pretty hard to do, but um, we found this spot, I, you know, it just seemed right. Um, we kind of, I think we put a offer down and we we're kind of in negotiations with it, um, which leads us to, I came up to Orlando area for a farming conference. It was a sustainable, maybe just a local food, forgot the actual name of it, but it was like a small kind of growers. And I was like, this is really cool. This is what I want to get into. I'll make some good connections. I didn't even know who was speaking in the conference or anything like that. Um, but we, um, yeah, so I went to the conference and there was a lot of good speakers, but um, there was Don Martin Portier that was there and I had no idea who he was. I listened to him talk and it just kind of clicked with me because he was talking about farming on an acre and a half. And You're like, I'm buying the first a house time. for two acres. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> click. So, um, yeah, it was exactly what we wanted to do. He talked about the way of life, you know, all, you know, his, his kind of how he, you know, raised a family there and how great it is. And it was just, yeah, things just really clicked with me. Um, I talked to him a little bit after. He was a super cool guy. Um, ended up buying his book, which I was like kind of on the fence about, which now I look back at it and I'm like, that's crazy. I was even thinking about that, but um, talked to him a little bit, um, you know, gave me some, uh, you know, words of encouragement. And uh, yeah, so moved here and I was like, all right, I pretty much know what I'm doing. I pretty much have the blueprint um, and just kind of move forward with that. Um, still did do some uh, fruit trees and things like that. So I didn't totally forget. Um, you know, well, about you got, what, no, you got quite a here. variety. I mean, and that, that's what yeah, I kind of wanted to diversify. Yeah, just just, you know, because vegetables here is kind of like nobody does vegetables. It's like anybody that I said, I'm doing, you know, any sort of vegetables that are like good luck. And then you throw organic in there and it's like, you know, you know, that's that's impossible. We have really, really, really sandy soil. It's pretty much like um, well, your soil is just sand. 
Like it's, yeah, it's pretty much that's all it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I've been there, and uh, I mean, I think you know, we first started the tour, and the first thing we looked at was your trees, and uh, and it was it was pretty interesting. So, because you you you're using the same re- rootstock, so they're not only um, is it incredibly sandy soil that you have a humongous nematode problem. Yeah, since we were on old citrus, the nematodes are pretty prevalent in this area, not to mention they're, you know, and it's a certain type of nematode. There's good nematodes, bad nematodes, um, but it's a um, root knot nematode. So you get these like, you know, gnarly looking, you know, root ball kind of things on your roots if you pull them up. Um, but yeah, so that's really susceptible. So they're actually on, we do a lot of peaches. We have, I think, 75 peaches. Um, but they're on a Nemagard rootstock. Um, so far, so good with them. But um, yeah, that's kind of a whole separate ball game. But yeah, fruit trees are, are a lot less labor intensive and a lot less stress, in my opinion, than annual vegetables, especially in our climate. But um, you also yeah, have to wait, so like, it was. I mean, for, yeah. for, you to, for them yeah. to produce, you have to have something like to wait. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely takes patience. I mean, we have some avocados that are probably going to take four or five years and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a happy medium. And I get some of it from, I don't know if you call it like a permaculture kind of, you know, reasoning of kind of getting maybe a little bit of a windbreak, maybe because we are, um, I guess I should mention, um, Sugarloaf Mountain, where we moved to um, in Claremont, is the highest point in the peninsula of Florida. So there's some higher points in uh, the panhandle of Florida, you know, near Tallahassee and places like that. Um, but it's really rare in this area. It's kind of the rolling hills. So we're kind of on this peak, which is cool, you know, for, you know, uh, drainage and circulation and whatever else. But um, really, it's, it's we get a lot of wind gusts and, um, you know, things like that. So getting a windbreak and, and doing certain things, getting a little privacy. I mean, we're on um, not a main road, but, you know, people kind of drive by and um, sometimes I guess you can kind of see, so just, you know, from the, from the roads and privacy and things like that. So we did the trees kind of on the outside and things like that, but, um, yeah, definitely wanted to diversify and not, you know, kind of put all my eggs in, in one basket. Plus, you know, fruit is unlike anything else. Just yeah, it's so delicious. Good. Yeah. yeah. It, Cause you have, um, I mean, how many varieties of peaches do you have? And then you also had, was it a, a Japanese plum or you had a plum that would grow there? Yeah, there's some plums developed by University of Arkansas that we do just kind of as a little experiment. We got some last year, but we do some nectarines, um, two different types of nectarines. And then we do, there's probably six or seven different varieties, but the main ones we do are UF Sun and UF Best, which are the two newest cultivars from uh, University of Florida, which is our land-grant university. Uh, so they developed these with low chill hours, um, which is 45 degrees and below. This year it's going to be very interesting because we've had a super, super um, warm winter. I thought it was cold when I was there, man. I'm you got a baby I mean, that's <laughs> what's that? I said I thought it was cold when I was there. That one day it was in the 30s. That one. That one Saturday. day, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sun didn't come out, but as soon as that sun comes out, oh, it's it goes up to it goes up to 60 immediately. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. So we're in the mid, I think, 86, you know, later this week, and then it's going to cool down a little bit more. But, yeah, it's been very warm. So it'll be interesting, our, our fruit production this year, especially with the peaches, because they grew, grow super quick. Um, and they do have some disease problems and things like that. And you got to prune them and then thin the fruit. And the whole process of, uh, you know, taking care of them. But compared to vegetables, I mean, it doesn't really compare. So. Um, we're, we're happy we kind of do both. It gives us a little bit of break. And I, you know, I was just saying it's 
pretty scary if you were all, you know, if we had nothing but peaches or blueberries, like a lot of people in this area, and it was, you know, we had a super warm winter and not enough chill hours. So um, that would be pretty, pretty scary going into the season, counting on that crop and, you know, not knowing if you're going to get anything or not. So we're pretty happy to diversify and we're growing a lot of different vegetables. So yeah. And, and yeah, and you really are. I mean, you, and you are doing a lot of the, the bread and butter salad mix, but you, you still have, I mean, a lot of those cash crops that um, Curtis talks about, um, you know, he has this whole, I should really know this as an affiliate of his program, but he has his, but he has this whole, like the way he determines how, how much that, that, that crop is worth. You and I were talking about, you know, you have this, you know, you, you have different people you work with that are great to work with. They want crazy things. And, but the realistic thing is on two acres on you know, on, I mean, cause what's your total, I mean, I know you're, so, you're keep going. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think I know where you're going, but we're about, and I should have said this, we're about, um, and I don't know if I kind of cut off how we got to this point, but um, I, I know, think I, of, I redirected you. That was my fault. Yeah, no, it's all right. No, 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 no. I think we got to, you know, meeting JM and kind of figuring this thing out and buying his books. And I read Elliot Coleman's books. I should mention and things like that. But once I read John Martins, it was just like, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was a pretty much exact. It just made sense. And I like things a lot. I like to keep things simple. It's, you know, kind of, I know you and I were kind of talking about this. And, um, you know, I wanted to start small and get bigger progressively and not, you know, in an organic way and not, um, you know, big farming and, and things like that. Riding on tractors didn't appeal to me. I mean, I'm not a mechanically inclined person. So that, that's not something that I, so getting such a simple approach from him really, I really identified with that and just starting, you know, with bare bones. Um, I recently read Lean Farm, which is really cool, too. That's a really good book. Um, but really just getting efficient and, you know, quality over quantity and just, you know, really. And there's nobody, I should mention, there was nobody really doing it around here for the most part. Um, Florida, I know we kind of talked about this, too, but Florida is kind of, you know, it takes like five or ten years for ideas to get down here or just, you know, anything to kind of come. We're pretty in our ways some people around here so well and, um, and and i just want to add because a lot of that has to do with everybody goes to florida to retire so like most mm-hmm. of the people in your market like most of the growth in florida is from you know elderly moving down to mm-hmm. to florida especially from areas like where i'm from the midwest you know michigan ohio i mean if you drive around claremont you see a ton of ohio and michigan plates it's not mm-hmm. so i mean especially this time of year yeah. oh yeah Oh yeah, definitely. And that and this is yeah. your peak season um in the sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, keep going. Yeah. Sorry about that, Jordan. No, so it, you're you're right. It is a lot of older. We have a seasonal crowd, you know, a lot of the snowbirds come. Um so that works with us though cuz our growing season is that, you know, I tell people it's kind of like the the school year September to kind of like June for the most part um for a lot of things, you know, we're we're kind of I know you had um uh, steadfast on your farm and we're, we're very much similar to their you know growing season how you know we're kind of in peak season right now but it's already getting kind of warm and we're you know i'm not planting anymore you know salad uh, i shouldn't say salad greens but you know salad nova definitely not i got some in my high tunnel but probably won't be planting anymore of that some of it's already you know bolting and things like that but yeah it's uh it's a pretty backward season from what most people um from you know your area or anywhere in the north are, are used to even you know north carolina or places like that we're really like we're subtropical so we're really i mean we're we're pretty much we're we're in the south um so yeah we have a short season for like the salads and stuff like that but you know we can grow lettuce from november to march safely 
some of that shoulder season depending and we've you know got our high tunnel now and we got shade cloth on it um which i ended up not even taking off for the winter because it was so hot and sun was so strong but it uh it really helps out when you're you know getting your seedlings going out of summer and then some season extension into you know late spring with some of that stuff and i kind of you know that was a addition this past off season um you know kind of playing out the seeing how everything the growing season happens here but yeah uh, so we kind of have that fall season where we do, can do some tomatoes and squash and things like that um and then we have the, the spring season like i pretty much put on in all of our tomatoes spring's a little bit shorter because then once summer hits they pretty much go into dormancy where they're not going to produce much fruit anymore and they kind of just i mean they won't even really grow and they just we pull them out probably by mid-june late june um at the latest so uh, and then we normally take july and well actually last part of june july and then we're pretty much starting again late july early august for seeds and stuff in the fall so it's really fall to spring is our season and summer is meant for you know what most people's winter and off-season projects and maybe one day we'll grow year-round if we can get more infrastructure and and you know maybe some more i don't know some high tunnels or things like that with you know more in ground growing with some shade cloth and things like that but that could be in the future but yeah so but it works with the see the the crowd here um as far as like you know uh people start going back i've already heard people going back by now because it's so warm up north but around march april may people start going back and then they'll come you know, back in september so kind of a short season for the wintery type of stuff so we're really kind of in peak season for that um but winding down so um it's a little unusual yeah so um no, that makes sense. And that was something we talked about, too. And, and I talked to John Dowie about it, too, is just knowing your market. And, uh, and, and you're, you're getting it really dialed in um, with your, your farmer's market. You do the one farmer's market. You're in grocery stores. You're in, you're, you, you have great relationships with chefs. Um, but uh, the biggest thing, uh, well, not the biggest thing, but one thing before we get, before I sidetrack you too much, let's go back because – you said you wanted to start out small, so your first season you had a, you had a really successful year, um, and you could jump in full time. So you know you sold your house, you guys bought bought a house, you were fixing it up, but you also had a little bit of a nest egg because you you did buy and sell your your last house at the right time. So you're going there, so you had the freedom to go at this full time and really learn. So what's how many? So how because you how much how many beds were you farming your first your first season? Yeah, and I should say you're right. We did have that that nest egg, um, and I still wasn't even full time my first season. We kind of got that um, that that capital, I guess you could say, and and purchased our house and um, could have gone. You know, we could have done a lot of different things, but I, it just made sense to me this way. And I still was doing some part time work. Um, my fiance works for a um, insurance company. I was doing some, you know, kind of third-party contract work for them so and it was work at home so it was very nice and I could play with the schedule so I was able to be outside and do anything I needed to do and kind of come in and do that either at night or you know in the middle of the day when it got too hot for a lot of different things to do um but really starting small you know really especially I didn't have the experience you know I, I volunteered on some um in South Florida there's really not farms to even um, that's the thing. There's probably a lot of people out there that are into agriculture in some way or another, but just don't have, they, they never had the chance to either express it, to either know about it or, you know, what have you. Cause in South Florida, there's really no farms. We have like the huge, huge, 
um, you know, farms down in like Homestead, Miami area, where they're just doing like massive amounts of either, you know, all conventional uh, tomatoes and green beans and, and peppers during season, um, normally during winter when the rest of the country is not producing. But there's really not any, definitely not any small farms. I, you know, when I started getting into it, I visited as many places as I, as I could. There were some people doing like aquaponics and the whole thing is nobody wants to grow just straight up outside in the dirt because soil so bad and soil so the sun's so harsh that a lot of people go for this hydroponic aquaponic you know like the uh the spot in uh downtown winter garden like there's like uh yeah like the rooftop one yeah, yeah exactly like nobody's just doing it in the soil because everybody's just like nope it can't be done so there wasn't any real anything to draw from as far as experience yeah i could have gone i could have you know gone away but it just wasn't um practical at that point with the sell, selling of our house and everything like that so I volunteered on some urban farms um, where, again, they were just farming like in a lot of like the grow pro bags or whatever you call them, the jackpots, um, you know, pretty much on cement. They were in food deserts. So I volunteered on that. But besides gardening when I was in Fort Lauderdale that, are, you know, really got me into growing my own food and stuff like that, but on a super, super small scale just for us. So there wasn't. So I really wanted to farm small because the learning curve was going to be incredibly vast. So, um, yeah, we started, I probably started on like six beds. Um, my beds, I just decided were going to be 150 feet long. Um, just cause we pretty much have like, I don't know, maybe 250 feet, um, pretty much in our backyard to go all the way back. I didn't want to go all the way, but, um, I remember reading in JM's book, it really doesn't matter how long your rows are. I remember he does a hundred, but he was like, that's really, you can do anything you want. So I just did 150. It kind of felt right. Um, so we had probably three or maybe four rows that first year. And then like a little small garden that we did kind of for ourselves, which kind of became some, you know, production in there. But yeah, we were really piecemealing it together and, and starting at like the smallest farmer's markets you've ever seen. Like, yeah, just, just, yeah, it's kind of comical thinking back at it, but just, and it was good to start that way because it really got our feet wet, but it was just, you know, on like weekday night, in like a dark you know parking lot some and it just was, wasn't good but it got us started um so it started very small and then we kind of got into another farmer's market and another and uh i know you and i were kind of talking about the farmer's market scene here and it's probably a little bit different than a lot of places i think you could say um i know the one you went to you weren't too yeah you want uh, me to I'll, I'll take a giant shit on it because uh <laughs> you, you might still you might still go there but the one i went to was winter garden and it's it's cool. Like, here's the thing. The aspect of what a, a farmer's market should do with community and everything like that, I think it's great because there's a ton of people there. It's a hip little spot. Um, Winter, downtown Winter Garden, Florida is, like, a great area. Like, I, it's it, there's a great brewery there, um, and it's it's a cool concept that they have with, you know, the local butcher inside. And, I, and I'm a fan of that. I, I think it's – I think that area is great. Now, from, like, a farmer perspective of that farmer's market – the reason why I'm going to take a giant shit on it is there's a few people that are actually selling the stuff that they're producing when it comes to food. Um, I mean, there's a kombucha guy. He just buys and sells it. He's kind of a dick. Uh, there's there's like, there's like a spot where it's basically if you go to the back, you can go get produce cheaper than you can get it at a grocery store, but it's the same produce. So it's nothing from a local farmer. So the, the guy, um, the micro – the, the – uh, the wheatgrass and uh, um, sunshoot guy, he does all of his stuff there. That guy's stuff is really nice. Um, he does like the bigger trays. That's the only thing I would say that 
he could do better. But I mean, man, he knows he knows what he's doing. I mean, his stuff grows and it tastes good. I mean, it's 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 good quality sun shoots. Um, so uh, he he does a good job. There's honey people, so there's some honey. They have people that sell it, but they're actually selling from that. Uh, isn't it like the winter winter garden? Is it Winter Park AV? Aviary? I think it's actually yeah. Winter Park goes there. Um, yeah. I think that's the honey people. Yeah. Yeah, and they have some good honey there. I mean, it's they have mm-hmm. like orange honey, and they have like varieties of honey that you you can't get in a lot of places. Um, I remember Senior was because they even have a little store in uh, Crooked Can, um, and they Senior was trying to get some to make a special mead. Um, Greg Bird Senior and he and they for some reason the lady thought we were getting honeycomb. She I don't know. There's some disconnect there. And then there's a peanut guy who will roast peanuts in front of you, and that's it's pretty good. He's got like different peanut things. When it came to like artisanship with food, that's what I saw. And there's not, I mean, it's a huge farmers market, but there's like four things where you actually can buy from. I mean, two things where it's actual from the farmer, and that's the honey, and then um, the sunshoot guy, and then there's like little artisans that make peanuts and stuff, which are delicious. But that's, I mean, that's pretty much it, which is, here's the thing, like, I know I'm coming from a very snobby perspective, but I'm also coming from a perspective of, man, we need more farmers, and this isn't really conducive for more farmers. And that's, and that was kind of my perspective on it. So, all right, I'm done shitting on uh, Winter Garden's farmer's market. (laughs) No, and I think an important piece, too, that you forgot to mention is there's now 150 vendors at that market. Yeah. uh, Just to give an example. So, yeah, out of all those people, um, I haven't been down there in a really long time. But, um, yeah, I should mention kind of – and it was, you know, smart in our part. But we went down there because it's uh, 20 minutes from our house, and we – pretty much saw what you saw we were like and and that's a big thing here is the distributors is what i call them or more you know produce brokers or whatever you want to call them we have a big terminal market um near tampa which is like an hour and a half away that just gets tons and tons like just you know for all the groceries so anybody can go down there and it's this huge you know pretty much like huge pallets and then people on the other side of the road are like breaking it down and then other people are breaking it down even further and anybody can get anything there at any time of the year and yeah it just floods the market so that's what we had to deal with and we walked that market and we're like this is perfect for us um we could really do well here there's nobody doing what we're doing yeah um and the guy the produce guy tells you exactly where he's from um you know he's very open about it like he'll say you know mexico uh you know, blueberries or whatever it is. And people have no problem buying it. Cause like you said, it's cheaper a lot of times in the grocery store, but we thought we found a niche there. Um, <clears throat> we contacted them. They kind of gave us the runaround a little bit about, and that was kind of our heart was set on that. And kind of, we put, a lot, I think a little bit too much stock into just getting into that, but um, yeah, they just weren't into it pretty much and, and really try to persuade them. Like we're different. We're going to be growing our own stuff. Um, I think we already started at that point and we're like, we're, we're having a lot of this and we know we'll do well. People are telling us they would love to see us there. And it was so frustrating not to, you know, just gain entry. Cause like you said, there's all sorts of like these flea markety type of, uh, vendors there. And you're like, you're a farmer's market without a farm. And we're trying to be the farm to feed our community as close as possible to our house um and they just weren't into it at all so they kind of gave us the runaround they said you know give us a call next year um we're we're kind of expanding so um we kind of did these smaller markets and and looking back it probably was a good thing just because um we were doing these really small markets and we're getting connections and they were in orlando and things like that and 
you know, you just know, you start meeting people, you find the next thing, you start meeting the next person, you find the next thing. And, you know, that was really important for us. Um, we definitely put in those, those awkward, you know, farmer's markets and unsuccessful ones in the beginning and trying to really find that established market. Cause as a produce grower, you can't really go to a up and coming market and bring all your stuff and hope it sells. And, you know, kind of it's trash afterwards just cause it's been sitting in our, you know, really warm, hot sun. So that was really tough, um, but we did these farmer's markets, started making connections with some restaurants. Um, we ended up doing a farmer's market kind of in a very, very seasonal town that's really busy just in the peak seasons kind of now. And that was good. We kind of hit the peak there and, um, uh, you know, kind of got, you know, it, it made us, you know, diversify where our produce was going. I think a little bit more, we couldn't just count on the farmer's market couldn't just count on restaurants. We weren't doing grocery store yet. Maybe we were doing one um, kind of small vitamin shop, uh, selling them some produce. But besides that, um, trying to think, yeah, that was pretty much our only outlets. That first year, um, we probably did about twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars worth of sales. Um, it was kind of a little bit more. It's pretty, pretty outstanding for your first year, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of piecing it together just week after week, but. Um, you know, we, we wanted to obviously make as much money as possible going into the summer um, to put it back into our farm to, you know, build the infrastructure, the walk-in coolers, the high tunnel. Yeah, because you were you know, doing that first is. year without the walk-in cooler, too. And yeah, I remember we were taught because you, you like your, your setup, and we'll get to it, is, is pretty nice. And actually, like, there's there's just a lot of features with, with your land when you got it that actually really, like, your extra garage really came in handy. But... Um, yeah, so you know your first year, I, man, I, I know because I waited forever, even last season, to get it, and it's just such a bitch to wake up, harvest because you want it to be as fresh as possible, get it to the market and sell, and then you're you're exhausted by like the the, the disadvantage is is like a lot of times Saturday is a good day to get shit done um, at, at the house, so that way you can avoid traffic because everybody's out and about on saturday so it's like okay it's it's nice to stay here um and and that was and and especially for me working full-time like that was always my challenge was man like i'm making most of my money at the farmer's market but the time that it takes to get ready for it just takes the fun out of it and because i didn't have that cooler i didn't have a lot of stuff as set up as i as i probably should have and I, and i and i'm you know you were doing it full-time but it's still kind of takes the fun out of it when you have to harvest and hustle and you have to get up at four in the morning versus okay i can package everything the day before and then all i got to do is load my truck and go yeah for sure we were we were doing that we had a old refrigerator from we did some renovations when we got uh, to this house too but we had just a side-by-side refrigerator that the previous homeowner uh, had and we just kind of it was like a you know just like uh, what is it tetris like trying to get them just stacked yeah. in there just right like one kind of upside down one just all right we can get this in and lucky enough we have a cool neighbor um uh kind of down the street from us that does a uh, commercial he's got like 1500 um layer hens and uh so he's got some cooler space so you know saturday nights it was a sunday market saturday nights we'd be calling him up going down there and seeing if we can you know jam some stuff in there and pick it up but that you know like you said then adding you know another 10 minutes to go into his house unloading his coolers putting it back into our truck and and then you know it just adds to it and like you said it kind of adds to the stress takes the fun out of it a little bit and um 
yeah, it's it's definitely tough, but the walking cooler was a must, and um, we just got it kind of done this this summer at at the end, going into fall. But glad we did because yeah, it's really it's impossible to to really farm uh, vegetables without and, it. I would say. And you found because um, you were looking into buying like because you got the cool bot, and you were looking into getting um, going to Lowe's or Home Depot and getting all the the insulation. But you actually found an old walk-in cooler, right? Well, not an old walk-in cooler, but yeah, I was like literally going to go that day and just, I was like, all right, we'll just do the insulation route because I know Coolbot put some different uh, ways you can do it. And I couldn't really find an old walk-in cooler. There's some like old restaurant, um, like, I don't know, they just take the like restaurant equipment companies that just take the equipment when they go to business, but nobody had a full cooler, at least when I needed it. So um, yeah, I called, there's oddly enough, I called this refrigeration place down the street from us. And I was like, any chance you guys have, you know, and know of anybody? And they're like, ah, maybe try this one place. And they gave me this place way out in the boonies and it, they had like refurbished, um, pretty much like didn't make factory grade, um, four inch panels that you would use on a cooler and you get all the, um, they give you like the, um, I guess kind of like the brackets for them to kind of hold them all in together. Um, and at first it was kind of crazy, but it really wasn't that difficult. Um, once you kind of figure it out, you kind of just, and I was building it in, I know you kind of alluded to it, but we had a, um, one car garage separate from our house that, uh, the previous homeowner built. Um, and it was just, nothing was being done with it. It was kind of split into two and you had some like workout equipment in there or whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, we can make this walking cooler. And then the other half could be, you know, kind of like our wash pack. And, uh, yeah, so the only challenge was getting this thing and building it in an existing room already. It's really meant to be built in a, like, you know, um, like breweries have them or warehouses where it's just, like, in a, another room. You're just building a separate room, but you're able to get behind it. But I wasn't able to get behind it because I was building it into a – you kind of saw it. It was built yeah. into, you know, against another wall. So it was a little bit different. I had to play with it a little bit. I put a lot of the, the bracket pieces in the inside as opposed to the outside and just, you know, because it's all about – just making it as insulated as possible. I mean, you could literally, you know, just put those walls up and run a cool bot, but you'll probably, you know, it won't be efficient. So it's really just getting that all sealed up and getting everything to, um, you know, and I was able to make a door out of it too, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, not only save the cost of the door, but just, you know, I think it's a little bit more uh, sealed than that. So yeah, I'd recommend anybody that's looking into it to kind of look at that route and see if it's a if it's an option to uh there's any places nearby that might have them it was definitely cheaper than buying the insulation i think a little bit um not as messy of work maybe yeah no i yeah i think um you know I, i'm not gonna lie i traded somebody a car to build mine so but i did the trailer and even then like i it, it just i thought i could do it for a lot less than what it what it turned out um but thankfully i mean like i'm happy that i have it uh just especially just for my situation but i think that you know um like joel still got to build a walk-in cooler and i think uh i need to actually talk to him about looking for just because he's going to put it in his basement like just look for you know something that you, you you maybe don't even have to use you get the uh um the padding because I, I think when you look at curtis's coolers he doesn't have he just has some old mini many storage things just like you like it's 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 more of a refrigerated unit than you see the, yeah i think uh, he i think he might have like an actual old i could be mistaken but um like an old restaurant 
like yeah. already it's a little bit different um i think because you can buy the ones with the actual like screws in it and you kind of line it up and then it kind of screws together mine's a little bit different that it's just um what they call groove panels i think they're called and they kind of it's almost like laminate flooring they kind of go into those grooves and snap in in other words of course it didn't work exactly like that because they're kind of refurbished and beat up a little bit but um you know you put a little um you know sealer over all of it caulk whatever you use and just kind of get it sealed as best as possible but i think he has an actual um like old restaurant one and i know a lot of people do that i think that works well too but um it's just what you have available in your area i guess absolutely most important yeah yeah absolutely like just making it like you have to have a cool cold storage but you know don't be afraid to get crafty like obviously look for the least expensive way but also most efficient all at the same time um mm -hmm. So, but yeah, so your first year, I mean, so in, you did, you did that in your high tunnel, but more importantly, like one thing I want to touch on and we're going back a little bit is, so you have this backyard that probably has sand with a little bit of grass on it, like, which is most, most areas there. And the nice thing is it never gets muddy where you're at. So that is pretty nice. But the disadvantage, I mean, I mean, when I was in your high tunnel, I remember right before my phone died, I showed, yeah, this is normal soil. It was just a, a handful of beach sand pretty much. And, uh, there's no beach, but it's just, it's just, it's pure sand. And, you know, you were showing me around your farm, the different things you've, you've figured out to that kind of bonds with the sand. And actually, I mean, your, your soil from where you're farming looks really good. And you, you pick some up and you could see how the, the compost was binding with the sand and it was and you're really kind of just terraforming your backyard. But so what was your first approach? So, I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, cause you have your BCS and I'm not sure if you till, if you got that first, um, to, to, to start building your beds, but what, when you got back there, what, what was your first thoughts? Like, okay, I'm going to make this work. All I have is sand. What do, what do I do to make this sand? How, how do I, what do I do to this sand so I can grow vegetables in it? Like what, what were, what were the steps you took? Yeah. And there was a lot of, a lot of time spent just playing <laughs> awake, thinking about how do I make this, you know, how do I grow things in this? So did I make a huge mistake in purchasing this property and not thinking about that? I can't grow anything in here besides fruit trees, but no. Um, and a lot of people kind of scare you, you know, my neighbors came over and they're like, huh, you're not growing any, you know, I tried growing cucumbers one year and they got eaten up by powdery milk, you know, and all this stuff. But um, yeah, so it's a really good question. As soon as I got, you know, this property, I was like, all right, I know what I want to do. You know, I kind of sketched out some different ideas and that's always fun and played with some different ideas, but I was so excited. I didn't know what I was doing. I went over to, I don't know, Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those and just rented one of those really crappy, just big ass tillers. And I loaded that thing in my truck, got it up there somehow just like with two by fours and got it up there. Probably was really unsafe and uh, got it down and just started tilling this area. And I forgot, I was listening to somebody else's podcast. Um, uh, somebody else that was on your podcast and they were kind of saying the same thing. I mean, yeah, we have, um, I think it's the uh, hay grass or whatever it is, the natural um, pasture that's here, but yeah, it's like super, um, fibrous so you can't really get in there and this tiller would just like skip on the ground and it would like literally just jolt you forward and literally like almost like knock you face down because it would just like skip and you would sometimes you know get in the ground and yeah I just remember tilling up this area and being kind of proud but just like what did I just do 
And uh, <laughs> so I finished tilting up this area. I was all, you know, gung-ho, and I was, I was you know, thinking I was doing something. Um, but really needed to take a step back, you know, looked at, and I didn't have a BCS yet, obviously, and looked at, you know, what implements I wanted, what was smart for, um, for my situation and everything like that. So what ended up happening was I think I ended up having my neighbor uh, the chi- with the chickens. He's got a, a compact, normal tractor. I think I asked him, he's got a tiller attachment. I think I asked him just to till a, I don't know, maybe 50, uh, maybe 50 wide, but 150 long. And I just had that big kind of open area. And then I got my BCS and then I was able to, you know, um, I got the plow, the rotary plow and the, um, the rotary plow is really good. I mean, even, so I mean, cause if you look, so getting a BCS, like I just use the rotary pl- or the ground blasters, I think what they call it. Um, that's a really good attachment, um, especially because I know that a lot of people like the power harrow, but I think getting started, the power harrow is like 2500 bucks. Um, so in the, the BCS is usually about five grand or, you know, six grand if you get it brand new because we actually have the same BCS. And I that's all I use in my backyard. Like when I redid mine just recently and it's just, you know, once I got the hang of it, I was like, oh, this is a great tool. You can make mini swales with this this plow you can do so much stuff with that i think that's my favorite attachment right now that i have um or that joel and i have uh so i'm, I'm sorry i just wanted to make a big sales no, pitch no, for the no, it's a good blaster. point yeah and it, it it uh that was the first attachment we got i do like it a lot i don't you know i use it obviously to build beds but a trouble i'll just mention or a, a kind of a struggle i had when i first got it because we had this just straight you know super fibrous you know, grass on where I was trying to till or, or bring up, what it would do would be um, take dirt over to your right and it would cover up that sod. Um, and it was really difficult. Like I was trying to find, like I was trying to avoid getting the tiller because I wanted the rotary harrow and I was like, I don't know how much I'm going to use the tiller, you know, in my bed prep and all that. But it was kind of one of those, I ended up getting it um, and I used it a lot. But um, yeah, it was one of those things that, it was the grass then would grow back because I just kicked dirt over and it was really hard to see. And then if you go back over that, it was kind of uneven um, and it was kind of tough to get the, the, and maybe it's cause I'm sand, you know, really sandy yeah. that it would just kind of get bogged down the machine sometime. It would kind of, and I should mention our, our soil also, I mean, not only is it poor, like no nutrients in it whatsoever, um, really low organic matter, um, pretty much everything really low nitrogen, really low potassium. We have high phosphorus um, for some reason. And we actually have a lot of micronutrients in the soil from the old citrus, um, which scared me a lot um, because I was worried about um, what they call like micronutrient toxicity. And I was worried about that. Um, haven't had any problem really since, but, um, or, you know, that I can tell, but it was something I, I worried about. But yeah, um, it's the soil is hydrophobic also. So if you just water our native soil, like it's, you'll just see like a water, water bubble on top. Yeah, it doesn't like, it's just like, nope, we don't want this. It just is really difficult. So when you add that organic matter, um, that really helps out. So should mention once we got the first fill tilled in, I brought in a huge amount of maybe like 40 yards uh, dump truck of like really good, um, what they call double A grade compost, um, what they would, um, non-bio sludge, so no human waste kind of um, compost, all vegetable scraps and things like that. And I just noticed it wasn't really binding with the soil. Even after I tilled it, it was kind of on the dry side and, um, you know, it was a little mulchy still or whatever. It's really hard to find like really, really good quality compost around here. 
and I paid a decent amount for it. And I just, it was gone in a matter of, you know, like half of the growing season that first year, we were kind of still just planning some things out before we went into our first season. It was just like, what, what happened to all that soil we put in? So talking to people, everybody recommends going, um, Monterey mushroom. It's a huge mushroom company. It sells to like all the big box retailers. They have a huge, um, uh, plant produces a ton of mushroom compost, um, kind of in the Apopka area, which is a really, really big greenhouse, um, area. Uh, nobody's really doing it outside, but for ornamentals, uh, there's some nurseries outside and things like that. But if you ever drive through it, it's just one nursery, you know, orchids, bromeliads, one thing after the other, just boom, boom, boom. And so, um, a lot of places use that um, for their for either their mix or compost or whatever, and it's um, in this big agriculture area. Anyway, um, I was kind of hesitant to get it because it, it kind of has like uh, well, you know, mushroom compost, and I just didn't think it was the best thing. I wanted to put something like more organic and pure. But really, once we tried that, I spoke to a lot of other people that were doing it too. Just the wetness kind of really bonded. You know, sometimes it'll get it really wet depending if it rained recently, and some, but it's not like composted all the way. It's pretty pretty hot still, um, especially if you get it on certain times because they're just going through this stuff as you know really really quick and it's supposedly sterilized and whatever else um so we used a lot of it that smells uh, awful the much. mushroom compost yeah. is awesome it's it's smell yeah. is just absolutely terrible though i can't oh man it. it's so, so rancid it's just yeah it's crazy it's just yeah sometimes it's just extra funky where you just like your stomach turns just like being around and at least mine does but, i remember i yeah, thought i stepped in i had these bags and i thought i stepped in shit and i'm like looking at my shoes i'm like what smells like something died and then i walked like had these bags of compost and walked around like jesus that's okay well let's get this stuff laid out i'm tired of smelling this yeah anyway sorry gnarly yeah (laughs) so uh yeah so we we started getting to that and so cheap and pretty much i just need to pay for transportation um for the guy to come he comes in like a 20-yard truck and i just get it dumped and um our neighbor's nice enough with his tractor i'll you know to help him out some way that I can and he'll come over. I used to go over to his place and scrape all of his hen houses with chicken manure, but uh yeah, if you really want to talk about a nasty, stinky job and and wonder like what the hell that smell is, that's a good way. And it was just backbreaking work and he would come over and dump it and again I'd be like, i you know, that that was my whole morning. Uh and I can't even tell what I just did. And I'm sure, you know, it's really good because it's high in nitrogen and and um, high in potassium more so than phosphorus, which our soil already has. So it, chicken manure is definitely good for us, but it was just, and then I had to compost it and then to turn it without a tractor, just, it just became too much. So, um, I stopped getting his chicken manure, but, um, the mushroom compost, he dumps as best he can. We still spread a lot of it by hand. Um, but really we put a lot in this, for this, um, going into the second season, um, at the end of the first season too, when we were building our new beds, we added a lot, but even already you can kind of tell like it's, it's just, it's just being eaten up a lot by the, the sand and it's a good thing. I mean, um, we definitely want to move to a more, um, like a no tillage just to kind of build up, build up the organic, um, matter more, but, um, it's definitely going to take some more and we cover crop this past summer, um, with some things, some sun hemp and some un- iron clay kelpie and things like that. Um, and we had really good biomass on them and we cut them down and, and, um, and you said you took the, the mower to it or you're going to take the mower. Yeah. To it? No. Yeah. That was a big question I had. Cause yeah, you said you had the mower too. And, um, we went for it cause I didn't hear anybody. And I think I asked on um, Mark Gardner, but didn't, um, I don't think anybody was doing it yet, but well, we have, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people have grass around their fields and things like that. And we wanted, we didn't want to buy another mower, you know, a 
um, a riding mower, which everybody around here has, um, and mower grass. So we, you know, used our BCS. I mean, you know, used the 30-inch uh, what is it? Combo mower is what they called it. Because I know the flail mower works, but the flail mower you don't really want to do on the grass. So kind of took a leap of faith, and I was like, all right, well, why don't why can't we cut our cover crop on our 30-inch beds? And um, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little um, you know, not the, the best job. It was a little rough. Sometimes got stuck a couple times and you kind of had to clean the blade a little bit in like a really, really, but sun hemp is, there's a lot of biomass in there and that's what I tried cutting with it. But, um, I don't know if I'll do that again. Our neighbor has a big, um, you know, he has all the implements for his tractor and I'm sure he doesn't mind it. It just, you know, takes him a little bit to cut, um, our cover crop, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cover crop again in the summer and we'll do everything we can to really build up our soil. Definitely add a lot more, organic matter and, and to add it in, but it's key with the orga with the mushroom compost I've learned is is the tiller is kind of necessary because really to incorporate that, if not, um, and I've tried reading up on a lot of different um, mushroom compost type of research, but it really will dry out the top layer of the soil if you don't incorporate it in. It really, like if you ever got a huge mountain of mushroom compost, it's like the center could be kind of dry, but the outside will be kind of moist still so really incorporating it in with the tillers key um yeah and once you once you incorporate it it really kind of starts looking like something you can grow food in and um yeah we're going to keep working with that and like i said we want to you know kind of limit the tilling um not that we do a lot of it now but really want to probably going to look at the the rotary hair of getting it maybe this summer um either that or like the tilter or something like that um to help with bed turnover but really building the soil is obviously the key with all organic farming but Especially, Especially with sand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear about other people that said they have sand in other parts of the country, but I mean, literally it's, it's, you're, it's like you're going to the beach. Like if you weren't, it's just, you're playing in the sand might as well, you know? Yeah. It's, I a hundred percent agree. I, I think, uh, I mean, I wish, man, I wish I saw that video. If, if anybody knows, if you listen, how to, how to recover an Instagram live, we'd appreciate it. But I mean, I, I take, I mean, even actually, I think if you want to send me a picture from your high tunnel of a handful of your beach sand in your yard, um, it's, it's so crazy. And, and, it, and that's what was really impressive too, just being on your farm. Um, so, and, so we can fast forward a little bit now that I had you, you talk about your soil. So, you know, your, your first season's up, you, you, you take all that money and your whole plan is just to invest all the profit right back into the business to expand. What were the first things? So we talked about the walk-in cooler. Did you get the BCS that second season too? No, I ended up uh, using, um, and I should say we probably spent, I would say, kind of getting started. I mean, I'm 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 pretty frugal. I, I don't like spending a lot of money, and even if I just and like I kind of mentioned, I wanted to be bare bones. And Lean Farm kind of talks about that, and just kind of you know, outdoing what you're kind of, and we did all the, like, started doing the raised beds by hand and stuff and kind of realized it was, if we're going to get the BCS, we might as well do it early. It was one of those things, like, why break her back to, um, you know, get something that's kind of inevitable. Um, so we, we kind of got that, I think, midway. Yeah, it was right around New Year's, because I know they, they kind of run that special um, where you, uh, where there's, like, a little bit of a discount. And I think it was around, like, the holidays that we ended up getting it um, into our first season. Um, but yeah, we, we probably put like, uh, probably 12,000, maybe 15,000 just to kind of get going as far as like the amendments, to the soil and everything else that goes along with it, the irrigation, obviously, and all that type of stuff. Um, potting, you know, 
potting mix and all that uh, trays, everything the first year. So we kind of took that, but I was very frugal with it. I didn't really want to spend more and, and really wanted to like outdo ourselves, like really be needing the next thing we got. Um, so like the high tunnel was definitely something we needed to do. So that was the, the second season. But um, yeah, the BCS was kind of that first season. And I should mention going back to our, our soil, sorry, but um, no, something I fine. did do um, when we first started, I did a lot of research pressure and things like that. I kind of wanted to start well, with Real quick, it kind of cut out right when you were seeing oh, research. Sorry about that. You're fine. That's not oh, okay. your fault. You did a lot, did of, research. A lot of research. Yeah, with on, on nematodes and, and just our soil in general, I, I, you know, it was just kind of driving me crazy. And uh, there's something, I don't know if you're familiar with solarization, but it's pretty much putting like a clear plastic poly tarp on your soils and you're pretty much like baking the crap out of it over the summer. So our summers get really, really hot. Maybe not like temperature, like over oh, at 110, but we're super, you know, high humidity. So well, the sun uh, too, the Florida sun is nothing. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's different than, it sounds goofy, but until you actually go and experience Florida in the summertime, it's, like, cause it's not as hot as you think it is, but that sun is like, it's humid and that sun is dehydrate. It's humid and that sun dehydrates you fast. And I, I've never been, well, no, I have been to Arizona in the summertime. It is pretty sunny, but it's, it doesn't feel the same. Um, so I don't know. So if Eric Schultz, when he hears this, he might say, whatever guys, I'm in Arizona, but <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's, it's very similar. But yeah, uh, and it's the humidity here. Yeah. Like we're in pretty much, I mean, South Florida is bad, pretty bad too, but we're just in, I think we were going to talk about this, but it's like the armpit of the country. I mean, it's just like, you're just like, you just, we just have swamp all over the place and that's very natural. And it's just this high humidity area. Um, so I don't know how we got to that, but no, <laughs> um, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, solarization. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So our summers are crazy hot. So there's this like theory that um, you roll up this uh, clear plastic tarp. And I actually remember talking to Jam about this because he was talking about kind of laying out um, when I saw him in conference. I think that was one of my questions for him because he's talking about laying out these um, these tarps on his farm and, you know, for winter time. And I'm kind of reversing it and thinking about how does that apply to our our seasons. And I said, all right, there's this thing, solarization. So he never had to do it. And, of course, I'm sure he doesn't have, like, a nematode issue. But pretty much baking your soil, it goes to, I don't know, it's like 110, 150 degrees. 115 degrees if i'm not mistaken so it kills off pretty much everything um as far as i know for nematodes i don't know if it kills all you know biology down there but definitely the nematodes um go and then supposedly when you take them off and you start you know building your soil back the good nematodes kind of come back before the or the beneficial nematodes come back before the harmful nematodes like the root knot that we deal with so um, I wanted to try the solarization. That was pretty much, that was, I would never do that again. I mean, I guess it was kind of good we did it, but just the tarps, the clear tarps kind of broke on us. The sun just broke them down. Like if you have them, um, you're supposed to go six to eight weeks. And if you go like any longer than that, you just, your plastic just breaks in all tiny, tiny little pieces. And it's like the worst. Cause you know, uh, I should mention too, you're supposed to water heavily before you put these tarps on. So it just really, really builds up. It's like a little steam room down there. And just really builds up all that humidity and stuff. Um, so it was just a mess. Just little pieces of plastic, cleaning all that up. And we didn't like wasting the plastic, you know, throwing it away at the end of the season. So I probably wouldn't do that again. But, yeah, that's something we tried. I don't know if anybody else has tried it or had success with it. I know UF has put out research, you know, saying that there is some merit to it. But um, 
yeah that's that's what i wanted to add the soils so it probably helped but it was it was a bitch and it was something to only do once yeah and and you kind of just want to do it once because it's kind of one of those things that like i said it's like a blank slate you kind of want to to start with which is ideal um but yeah that that was that's one thing we kind of did and before we added any organic matter um, but yeah, there was a lot of, there's just not a lot of research for growing. I mean, yeah, for growing vegetables and sandy soils, there are, but not a lot of people are doing it down here. So there wasn't too many people to talk to, um, and things like that. So, um, and there's not that many farmers. And like I said, they're farming either citrus or other things like that around here. So, um, and a lot of conventional, obviously, but, um, yeah, I forgot where we were going with No, that. you're fine. You're fine. So. So that so you did that before your first season or after your first season? That was uh well tech before our first season, that's okay. summer before, yeah. So then after your first season, you know, you already have your BCS. Um your biggest goals are to get the walk-in cooler. Yeah, say that again. I, I, I okay, no worries. What made you decide to get that awesome high tunnel? Oh, yeah. So um that was another big investment and again took me pretty much all summer of research cuz Again, I don't have. I didn't really have too many people to ask about a situation. You know, we have a, a unique situation here where you want it. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but you want that um, coming out of summer into fall. It's super hot. You need a cooler spot to start those seeds and and whatever else. And you kind of want that season extension that way. You know, most people, you know, where you are, winter time. And we kind of have that dual because we can have a freeze in the winter. You know, we can get down, like I said, in the 80s. They had like three or four straight days of 20-degree weather, killed all the citrus. So we can have that. Um, So it was, you know, and I learned the first year we had some cold weather. And I was just kind of doing them in an open-air shade house kind of thing. And it just, you know, things slowed down a lot. The disease pressure, because we have a lot of it around here. Um, The insect pressure, of course. So all these things. So I was like, high tunnels a must. I know there's a lot of research out there, a lot of different people doing things different ways, but again, we're a little bit different because of the high winds and things like that. So um, kind of in that agriculture area I was talking about earlier, a lot of people are using high tunnels, greenhouses. I mean, million dollar state-of-the-art type stuff that they're growing, you know, huge amount of orchids or ornamentals or whatever. Well, and our guy, um, our microgreens guy, he grows all his sun shoots and – Exactly. And uh, wheatgrass in, in tunnels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has, I think they're air conditioning. You can do the cool pad air conditioning where it's pretty much looks like a cool pad and it's blowing the span all the way through. Yeah. He's a super cool guy, but he's really only doing those two things. Um, and so, but yeah, so, yeah. and he kind of bought them. Um, <laughs> yeah. He has a lot of funny stories, that guy, but he, he bought them from places going out of business. Uh, so he he kind of took over their greenhouses um, for them and started growing all this stuff. And he's huge. I mean, he sells all this stuff all over to cruise ships. And yeah, he does a lot of production. But so uh, I went over to, you know, one of these builders that do it. And uh, I just decided it was better to put the investment in something like this. Because like I told you when you were here, literally after we put this up, we had Hurricane Matthew, I think it was, come through uh, September time. I think it was late September. Um, and we had wind gusts that were probably close to a hundred. If not, you know, we kind of, the storm kind of made a move a little bit east right before it was literally coming straight towards us. So, 
Um, just for the peace of mind, it, it definitely, but I, I went back and forth with a lot of different things um, as far as the size or the structure, or how, you know, so I decided to invest in it. Um, total investment, I think we put like $6,000 into it and it's a 16 by 72. 16 is kind of the best for wind load um, capacity, I guess. Um, and, you, and you had somebody not, else build it too. Yeah, yeah. It was in the middle of the summer. I was like, I can do this and waste my time and probably get nowhere. But get heat it strokes. Was, yeah, 100% I would do that. Because I learned so much from watching them, too. Um, and they're super nice. Uh, the guy I stayed in contact with, if I do another one, I'll probably have him build it, too. I mean, I put, or I should say they put, but I bought <laughs> um, 160 pounds of concrete in each hole. I mean, and there's on each post. And, you know, I don't know, there's probably like 30 or something there. So, I mean, just that alone and july heat was definitely something i didn't want to you know try to learn and figure out because it would have taken me probably months if not like a year to complete by myself so yeah it was definitely paid off to do i'm glad i did that um we're actually doing the nrcs high tunnel program we applied for it this year so i'm crossing our fingers on that and if so we'll probably build another one um pretty similar behind it um something that also kind of went back and forth and took me a while to figure out was like what type of shade cloth or if I wanted to shade some people do it that way around here some people don't um so you can do like a classic you know poly just with the poly but I decided to go with like this new shade cloth that just came out which I was kind of waiting to hear some reviews for some, from some people because it's kind of a big investment but it's a Ludwig Svensson is what it's called it's a Swedish company um they have all sorts of different percentages with their shade cloth and I wasn't sure you know which way to go because you know, I want to grow things in there, but it's it's a catch-22 with it. But we ended up going with 39% uh, Svensson shade cloth. And it, it I mean, it's like 15 degrees cooler under there. It's white on white, so it doesn't attract the heat. And it just, like, takes the light and disperses it in a way that it, you know, hits the, the plant at all these angles and whatever. So that was, yeah, an investment that I just thought was worth it. Um, and it kind of came together right at the beginning of this, you know, it's kind of a late push to start the seeds in there and all that type of stuff. So it was a little hairy getting getting everything off the ground this season. It's kind of been a mad dash ever since. But um, I mean, yeah, look, that was that things was, look pretty good in there. I mean, if you're a mad dash, your mad dash is looking pretty 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 <laughs> nice. Thanks. Yeah, it was definitely that was a priority. The walking cooler was a huge priority um, because we learned from last year. But I kind of you know procrastinated on that and. Um, I should mention the people at Coolbot are really, really, um, another farmer, um, kind of around here told me about it. They're just like, and they're like, yeah, that'll work. You know, like pretty much they'll, they'll help you out a lot. Um, and that helped me out. I called them with some questions. Um, but that was a big priority. Um, you know, doing the landscape fabric, we started doing that. So like burning all the holes was kind of another priority, getting some more, um, tools like the greens harvester we picked up. That was a big help. Uh, trying to, the Jang was an addition in the summer for this new season. So we did a lot of the, what I thought was kind of like the next step up um, in the process. Um, and I'm glad I did. Pretty much all the investments we went to have been beneficial. Um, and, you know, this upcoming off season in the summer, I have a, a list already of things that not only do we need change, but, you know, efficiencies and different things like that. Um, Lean Farm definitely put some things in context on, you know, what's important. It's kind of why I put the high tunnel where it was. It's kind of right in the middle of my bed as opposed to like off to a corner somewhere because figured, you know, if you're having seeds coming in and out, it's less less walking and less foot traffic and all that time adds up. So 
all that stuff kind of helped. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else in the summer that we might have done, but those were the, the big things, the big changes that we made. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So, so at the end of the season, um, you're getting, you know, were you, did you decide at the end of the season, you know, we're just going to focus on the winter park farmer's market and then we're going to look and just hit restaurants hard. Like, how are you, what was your plan for generating revenue going into the season you're in now? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we were doing, uh, it's a town called Mount Dora and that's a seasonal, um, location we were doing it at it's a sunday market sunday's just not i don't know how other farmers or people feel about it but sunday people some people are going to church it's just like a laid-back day you know you harvest for fridays for that delivery and harvest again for market it just wasn't it was we did that market because it was the best market at that time for us and we built up a name for ourselves people really identified with us we got a little bit of a following we got into some restaurants there um you know so we really tried to and i think it was smart um like if we went to mount Dora, it was we hit all the restaurants there like we we you know if you, we're gonna be here if you want to work with us that's awesome um so we really only now work with one restaurant there we don't do the farmer's market there so I'll take it back though. In the summer, we were like, all right, we, we're going to hear back from this the farmer's market I was talking about earlier, um, the Winter Garden one, the one you were talking about, and they're going to expand. And, you know, they said we can have a spot in there. So I was pretty, pretty, I was kind of counting on that. Um, so we, we applied again and I didn't hear anything back. And kind of through the grapevine, we found out they accepted all these vendors. Um, and we were one of them. They accepted a bunch not of non-farmers farmers, yeah. for the farmers yeah, market. Yeah, total 150 vendors and no farmers. Yeah, yeah. Um, one farmer who does two crops of microgreens. Yeah. So, um, and he'll be the first one to tell you, like, yeah, the 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 interest of the people that run it are a little funny, but so um, that was like literally the biggest bummer I probably could have happened because here I am, like, planning for this. You know, she kind of told me you could you could. Um, you know, revisit it. We're, we're expanding. I don't see why you can't. I mean, I'm thinking about it. I'm a farm. I'm one of a kind. I'm kind of a niche uh, market. Um, why wouldn't it? There's demand for it. And it just everything lined up. And here I'm growing and I'm like kind of planning for this. I'm putting seeds in the ground. I'm like, all right, you know, I, I want to make sure we have enough for market and um, don't want to sell to restaurants and show up looking like this pathetic, you know, farm for the beginning, you know, because, you know, first impressions. And, uh, yeah, didn't hear anything back. And that was just heartbreaking when, when, uh, the, the first thing that decides it was just like, yeah, we, we didn't go that way. And I, I later found out it was for some, maybe some other reasons, um, you know, for whatever reasons they, they were, or what's true or not. Um, she just was like not budging on it. And I was completely heartbroken. Like, I mean, I mean, you could imagine just growing all this stuff and just being, it's just, it's a defeating feeling, just not knowing where you're putting all this work in and not knowing where it's going. And restaurants are great, but I don't, you know, I've already found, and I know we talked about this and Curtis talked about it on your podcast, just there, it's just not the, maybe for some people, but it's just not the most ideal, especially in a place where you kind of have to tell them, um, you know, the benefits and they don't really understand it and all that type of stuff. So um, it was kind of a mad scramble for a while of not having a market. We were kind of still doing Mount Dora, but it was, it was, it kind of plateaued and people, I don't know, it was weird this year. People were voting, so people didn't kind of come into – they kind of stayed in their their voting areas, I guess, um, their pr- primary addresses to vote, or they volunteer or whatever. It's a lot of older people. 
to come down. So it was just kind of, it was, it wasn't a great market. Vendors didn't come back and we're like, I, that's, it, it that's, just, I just have to say how funny that is. I never thought people voting would, yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense because it's old people that vote and that's who you're selling to. Yeah. And they want to, those are the people volunteering at the voting booths, you know, that, that love that stuff. They, that's right up their alley. So yeah. Um, so that was really tough. Everybody stayed and it was like November. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like this market's not happening. Um, it was probably late October. Yeah, probably like October by then. I, I you know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was like, this isn't, you know, we'll give it a little bit more time, but this isn't where we want to be. It's kind of holding us back. You know, going to market takes a lot of time, like you said. So, um, yeah, and I was just, I was, uh, to be honest, I was really defeated. It was really, it's a tough, tough feeling when you're counting on something. And looking back, I shouldn't have counted on it. You know, just because somebody says you can do something, shouldn't, you shouldn't take their, you know, you shouldn't put all their, your eggs in their basket just on their word. So, uh, but you live and learn, and uh, yeah, so there's another market, and it's pretty much like the, pre- I, I don't want to, you know, but, you know, it's kind of like the more upscale um, area outside of Orlando, Winter Park, and um, the, the market's been there for like, I don't know, like 40, 50 years. It's been there a really long time. It's like the original market, um, and there's actual farms there. It's pretty crazy, yeah, which is re- really rare to find in Central Florida, so there's farms from kind of a few different places that come there and it's just a really good demographic it's people that get local food everything and i've applied there in the past and i just wouldn't even get a call back like they have hundreds of people applying or whatever and uh yeah i just remember being really defeated it was like a monday after market and i was like what am i doing you know it's just this is being my head against the wall i'm doing this and kind of you know um it wasn't like so much was going to waste but i really wanted a market like the reason we started this was i wanted to feed like people around us and and really change the, you know, and I guess I kind of should have alluded to this in the beginning, but really wanted to change the food food system. Like it wasn't, um, we went through a period, you know, and, and people have seen like all those documentaries that came out and stuff yeah. like that on Netflix a, a while ago. Amazon, and, Amazon you know, has them too, but I know exactly. Okay. Yeah. The food, yeah. But the, like Vegucated um, was one of them that yeah. really stuck with us. Like we went veg, uh, vegetarian uh, for a little while um and just the food system and just doing more research and just really realizing like there's nothing more fundamental or you know and i go back to simple just because i I just like simple things but there's nothing that you know in my mind that um is more important than that or over you know we all need to eat and the way we're doing it now is completely broken it's not good for anybody really chemical companies the the bayers monsantos or whatever but really everybody else is getting hurt people are getting shitty food farmers are getting crap you know animals are being treated inhumanely like our food system is totally broken so that's i should say kind of one thing that really stuck with us so i really wanted to do a farmer's market like it was i know some people kind of go around that but it appealed to me i like that um you know it's kind of get the word out about us too and everything so that was a huge letdown. So I'd applied to this other farmer's market and I just remember being defeated. And I was just like, whatever, let me call them. Let me just tell them, you know, do, is it worth applying anymore? Like, are they t- taking people, whatever. And I just remember talking to the girl and I was just like pretty much telling her everything that was going on. And I was like, I'm an actual farmer. Like I have all this food. I have nowhere to take it. You know, is there anything you can do to help me out? And she was just like a person, you know, at the front of Parks and Rec or whatever. And um, she was like, yeah, you know, it's interesting you, you, you called today because we're, we're rolling out this, this uh, food, um, like EBT SNAP program um, that I know a lot of other communities uh, do. Uh, where Columbus, you know, you Columbus does it. Yeah, Joel, we were signed yeah, up for that nice. the first year. 
because we were in like a hood farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So keep yeah, going. So, Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no, but exactly. It's it's catching on the EBT, the SNAP, and there's another one. But yeah, some match for low income. Some are just like, yeah, so there's all these different programs. So she's like, we're rolling it out. You know, maybe in the new year, um, January, February, we'll, we'll start taking a look at some applications. I'll put a little sticky note, and I'm like, all right, like that's not really helping me right now for this like you know 100 pounds of lettuce that I got going on and or you know all this shit that I have growing like I you know and it was just kind of it seemed like I was just getting to run around again so I was just like whatever you know thank you you know I sent her an email right away and I was just like thank you for trying you know anything I can do please let me know and literally like 15 minutes afterwards um, she sent an email and was like I spoke to my supervisor I'd be happy to offer you a, a spot and I was just like wow like. That's crazy that that happened because, like, yeah, it's just, like, the top-of-the-line market and people wait a while to get in. And, I mean, I waited a little bit. You know, we, we applied or whatever. But it was just, yeah, it was, it was a huge relief just, just being able to have that outlet at the end of the week where if you didn't, you know, sell to this person or that person or had excess that, there's at least a market there. And we can build our name, and it's close to Orlando, so we can do more restaurant sales. And it just opened the, the gates for us completely. And I kind of knew that, and it's, it's kind of sad it took a farm – that long to get there but you know it, it could be for the right reasons maybe we weren't ready for it or whatever but um yeah we've been there for um i think like three months now three four months now and it's been great um get a lot more interaction with chefs that come there and you know pick up stuff and it's just a good it's a good scene it's hard to find in these areas you know because like you said you have these flea markety type of farmers market and um who, by the way, ends up winning, like, all the awards and stuff like that because they're so big and everything, and people think those are the best. But it's really, like, we found a really good home here, and we're, we're you know, we're, even though we're a small farm, there's bigger farms there. There's, of course, the huge distributors there, and they make a killing. Like, it's insane how much business they do. But we still, we hold our own, and, um, you know, we're kind of carving out a little niche in the market for, like, the salad greens and especially the clamshells and that type of stuff. It's a lot of work, but it kind of sets us apart and people like that convenience and ease. And, you know, when those people come up to you and they're like, oh man, that, that salad box, you know, that clamshell, I have some leftover from last week or two weeks ago and it still looks perfect. It's so good. It's just, yeah, it's really, it's nice to hear. So um, that was really big for us. Um, so that wasn't planned. So it, it was kind of, all right, let's seed as much as possible. Let's go a million miles an hour so yeah it's been a it's been a mad rush um didn't forecast it like this but um definitely for the better so that's been really good but it's kind of part of the reason why i want this off season it's really important for us just because we're gonna um you know really really go for it even more and and you know do this necessary infrastructure um even more so for this new market that we have and the new chefs that we're working with now because we're in this market or we're in the area now it makes sense for us to deliver um and the grocery stores and just you know we got interviewed for a magazine um that's so, awesome yeah a lot of good things so a lot of good things come with it and um it's just making connections is really what it's all about i mean not only with chefs but with with everybody in the community and that's really what we want to do and um we really want to be somebody that's you know maybe not like have you know farm like outings and people come out to us but we want to like bring that you know local food like know your farmer type of philosophy back here and some people aren't interested in it but we think it's extremely important and i think there's enough people out there that you know identify with it as well yeah and how did you go about getting in the grocery stores because i you know that was one thing that i noticed down there there's Publix, there's winn dixie and those are the mm-hmm. two dominant ones I, I didn't see a lot of small local markets 
Um, but you said there actually are a couple. And uh, when did you decide to, you know, I'm going to hit these grocery stores or did they contact you? Yeah, so it's funny. We were doing a co-op our first year. Um, and one of the customers, I think, just so happened to start working at a grocery store. And she was like spearheading this new move. She worked for, um, and they have like five or six locations in the area. And she was spearheading this like local food movement. And she contacted us like late last season. She was like, yeah, I'm really interested in this. And we're like, yeah, all right. You know, what? sounds great. But, um, you know, it was right before summer. I'm like, well, we're going to, nothing really grows in the summer here. And we're going to start next season. She was like, great, you know, and, and uh, yeah, we didn't hear anything for her a while or for them. And so it cut out there. Um, she, said, she said, what? It, she said, what? Oh, sorry. It, so uh, she, uh, yes, you said nothing really grows in the summer. Right. So I, I was thinking, you know, we're going to lose contact or whatever and then fall. And then, you know, the, the next thing is going to come up and they're going to forget about us in the fall or whatever. But we stayed in contact. You know, we, we let them know when we started producing. And she was like, sure. You know, I dropped off a whole bunch of samples for them. Pretty much everything we do um, as far as like the salad mix, the pea shoots. Um, a little bit of microgreens, maybe. Um, I forgot what else. Maybe some like spring onions and stuff we do for them. And she was like, "This is great. Can you do this, this, and this for the label as far as ingredients, um, where you know address?" And and that's yeah, I thought it was great because it was a way for customers to identify with us and and have that transparent. Um, uh, you know, be able to ask us any questions about our growing techniques or anything. So I love doing that. And we, you know, upped our labels and we got the brother printer for the label. So we're able just to print our own, like I think Curtis has. So, uh, yeah, and it just started and it's been great. Um, we have another one that we work with too, but we're really going to try to go after that market. Um, at the end of, you know, we've already kind of started a little bit to add on and it's new for people and people are like, yeah, I want to get behind it, but you know, there's a shelf life and, Grocery store, I think that appeals to them a little bit more because our, I tell them our salad mix will last two weeks, maybe a little bit longer, and they don't have to go, you know, turn it over like California stuff in three or four days. So yeah. that uh, is a good selling point, I think, and um, it just makes sense, you know, especially like where our farmer's market is. It's a lot of upscale, and like there's some like little butcher shops that we're going to try to partner with, and I don't know. We'll see. You know, it doesn't hurt, um, and, you know, I think it's better just to – realize if you have a customer or not and give them the samples and and try them out for a couple of weeks or whatever and then you know if it doesn't work it doesn't work and we've gone through those relationships where either a chef you can kind of tell is just not really into it or is a little too static and doesn't want to you know adapt to the changes that you know your growing season has but we work with some really great chefs um i know one i was telling you next time you're down because you, know, you fly out of sanford to definitely go check out but um yeah, that's really what it's all about, those relationships. And we developed a good one with the, the buyer for, for them, and they've been great. But the reoccurring orders, the the payments on time, the drop-offs, everything, Curtis, um, I know alluded to on your um, podcast, it, it's really true because it, it makes a big difference, especially just those little conversations in the kitchen when you're dropping off the chefs and everything else like that. I mean, it's great, and I love it. You know, you try some really good food or, like, you know, and then you just – dessert place well, uh, plate that when you're dropping off that you get to try out. So the restaurant's really cool too, but yeah, we really like the grocery store. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably focus more on like the few chefs that are really cool and, and get what we're doing and are really flexible. And I can call them up and say, Hey, you know, we have, we have, 
you know, X amount of this, can you unload some? They're like, sure, you know, I'll give them a really good price. And it's just, we want that beneficial, you know, mutual beneficial relationship. And, you know, there's some like juice bars and stuff I think um, we're talking to, because a lot of people are kind of going to these like little pre-made salad mixes and things like that, which is pretty cool. A lot of places, you know, want to do that local. And since we do, you know, the JM Curtis thing, so it's a lot of salad, you know, roots, carrots, radish, you know, all the salad greens and stuff like that. So that, that works for us. But yeah, with the restaurants too, it's a little bit of a balance with growing those. I know we talked about it, those kind of funky things that gets them excited versus, um, you know, just your normal salad greens that, you know, could get a little boring. So we, we try to have a happy medium. (laughs) Exactly. And I I explain and then the chefs that are cool understand it. And I'll, I'll do, you know, one row or a little row and, of, you know, some funky cauliflower, like, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of Rob, you know, broccoli Rob right now that some chefs like and whatever else, the mini broccoli um, thing. So just to keep them interested and entertained. And it's good for us too, because we like that stuff. We want to eat it. And I don't want to just eat salads all the time and whatever else. So I think there's a fine line there and it's, you know, determining your market. And that's really what these first two years have really been about is really finding out, you know, who's, who's going to be good to work with because it's tough going into that new season, and I know it's kind of going back to what you asked, but going in, you know, starting that new season without, um, without that seed sold, you know, you hear that, like, you want to sell your, your seed before you plant it, but it's really tough when you don't have it, um, to really know who's going to put up or shut up, so, um, that's been good to, to find out, you know, who's our good, you know, and it gives you more confidence going, you know, going into the new season that you can invest this money, um, which we're planning on doing, uh, putting it back into the farm and, and really going for it. Awesome. And what uh, what do you think? What's your projection on your revenue? Is gonna, what your revenue is going to be for the end of the second season? Uh, it's kind of tough to say. And to be honest with you, depending on uh, <laughs> if these peaches start, because the peaches kind of came on beforehand because it's been so warm. So they broke dormancy and they're like started. So I've been pulling them off and, so that would be a nice added bonus um, if we can get some peach production and fruit production, but it's not a, a you know, a definite. But um, I would say somewhere between, um, we're probably going to be around, you know, we still have a couple months to probably three months left. I think we're about 12, 14 weeks out. But I would say anywhere between like 60 and 75, we're going to be around. Maybe if peaches are a hit, maybe a little bit more if we get a good crop from them. But um, we're going to be right around that. And I, I kind of find that a lot of people kind of take that next jump to that level with the size that we're on, but um, we're like three quarters of an acre of actual vegetables, but I might expand that a little bit more to an acre total of vegetables and then fill the half acre probably of um, fruit trees and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I really hope we could, uh, I'm already having projections for <laughs> the following year and hope we can, you know, crush that and maybe double it or something it would be really cool because we really want to get our production going. And like I said, now that we have those outlets, it's really you know, gives you that confidence to plant, you know, you know, just keep going. And it's really good to not worry about that side of things and just worry about growing it and, you know, keeping up with those relationships as opposed to going out and finding those things when, you know, it's really tough, you don't have a name for yourself or anything. So um, I definitely think that part of it's going to get a lot um, easier, but yeah, we're looking forward to um, already looking forward to next season. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, Jordan, if people want to contact you or pick your brain about their sandy soil and things that they can do, what's a good way for people to contact you and follow your farm? Yeah, so we're, I don't do that much on Facebook. I don't know why. It just seems like 
pain in the ass to me. Um, but Facebook, you can find us, Sugar Top Farms. Instagram, I try to keep up on. Um, you can email me, sugartopfarms at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I'm happy to share anything I've learned so far. I think that's really a you have a, part you have of. a website, too. Yeah, uh, try to keep up with it, but it's not always the easiest uh, juggling everything else. Um, but, yeah, uh, we, we try to kind of do a little ordering system on the website and a little about us type of thing, but it's sugartopfarms.com. Um, but, yeah, email or, or, you know, Instagram or something is probably the best way to contact. But, yeah, I'll, I'll try to share as much knowledge, and I'm still learning so much. I mean, I don't think I've kind of scratched the surface on everything there is to no, and we're really getting into soil and everything like that. You know, we're, I'm reading a really good book, um, Hands-On Agronomy, right now by Neil Kenzie. I don't know if you know anything about the Albrecht method of soil, but we're really getting into that this next season. And, um, yeah, we look forward to it. But, yeah, I'm just kind of just, just learning. But if I can pass any knowledge on to anybody or if anybody has any questions, you can feel free to contact me. You can try to help. Excellent, man. Well, hey, man, thanks for uh, inviting me over to your farm. It was great connecting with you. and. Uh, if I do get a chance to go back down there before my dad leaves town, I'll hit you up. Or the next time I, I go visit my buddy in Oakland, I'll definitely hit you up. But uh, um, thanks for coming on the show. I think everybody's going to get a lot out of this episode. And, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for listening once again. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing you guys another episode soon.